So good evening, everybody. Nice to see you. You're all very welcome. One of the aspects which is very important to us as we gather is this year we felt on our weekend away to have a lot more faces up the front. So you've all been encouraged and had fun with Joe Ambrose. Um, you've had Bev just give a little announcement. Um, you've had Scott over here uh, helping with Christina and Sherry lead us in worship. And you'll see over the weekend there'll be a lot more faces, and that's something which is very important to us. But just for the next half an hour or 40 minutes or so, you've got my face to, to deal with, all right? And there's a couple of expectations. I know, you're all very happy with that. Thank you. There's a couple of, uh, a couple of words to try and sum up our time together as we, we kick off. And we've got so much content in our world today. And by the way, welcome to our Venezuelan uh, friends. Can we give them a round of applause? I was trying to remember my Spanish. And then I just, I was like, you know, Gomeleschgel, no. Uh, came, uh, all my German came back to me. So Monge too, Rodney, that also came into mind. So, hola, como esta? Uh, so it's great to have you. But there's a couple of words that came to mind, and there's so much content, especially after a long week. The last thing we want is massive amount of content in a session like this. But the Lord has very much put something on my heart to share, and for myself and Dillis to share over this next couple of days from Isaiah 55. And... We're going to go through that over the next couple of days, but there's a couple of words, I think, which sum up very much our expectations around gathering and coming into this space. Simple words, but I think with great meaning and great invitation as you listen to them and as you respond to them. This word which Bev articulated, oasis, was a word that God gave myself and Dillis way back when we started the church, that we would have times away that would be an oasis. And if you've ever been to an oasis, I have had the pleasure of being uh, at one or two in my time. And when they're in that space where it really is desert, the oasis becomes much more important. And the world can seem like that, life can seem like that. It can seem very much sometimes like you're constantly in that dry place but an oasis is that place where you actually drink deep. I can remember walking um, in the desert and I came to an oasis, an actual oasis, and I was so thirsty. I just drank and I drank and I drank. Of course, I drank too much. I ended up getting sick because uh, I drank too much water, but I actually remember that feeling of just my thirst being quenched and just having this sense of being filled. And so this idea of oasis it's a very significant word, I think, for many of us, if not all of us, in busy lives, as a family, uh, as a parent, as a, as a worker, as a student, wherever you are, wherever you find yourself. The second word is a word that you might not know. It's a word which I came across only very recently. There was a treat being run last week by Holy Trinity. And this is a word which I haven't heard for some time, but it's the Irish word, uh, sawainus. Um, which means peace, 
rest, calm. This beautiful word in Irish, which doesn't have an exact English meaning, but it's this beautiful idea of being at peace, being resting and being calm. N.T. Wright said sometimes, and I came across this quote as well from someone which I haven't heard for some time, but sometimes we need to slow down to catch up with God. That sort of tension of actually having to slow down uh, so we can meet with God. And that actually is the main purpose of our time uh, when we're gathering together over this next couple of days. There's also this phrase which has been bubbling up in my heart, which is something which I feel expresses one of the most beautiful and articulate and comprehensive expressions of the church, and that is church's family. It's so easy to go through the motions and be like a, a network as opposed to a family. And I'll talk more about that on Sunday. But this, this next word is something that really is bubbling up in my heart for us as we gather. This is something that it's actually like it's, it's bursting out of me. It's actually, it's something I cannot hold back anymore. Um, and that is this sense that, that Ireland are going to win the Grand Slam. <laughs> And I can't wait to see the English lose tomorrow. No, I'm just, I'm sorry. Where is uh, Mark Bubeyer? He's, he's, he's a, yeah, I know, no. It's an in-house joke for those who don't know. No, that is bubbling up in, itself, in my heart. But genuinely, this sense, which I think um, is so important, especially in Christian circles, if not everywhere, is be yourself. And that might sound something, it might sound very simple. It might sound like, Oh, yeah, I get that. But so many of us live with masks on. And so many of us go through life with someone else's expectation over our face. Someone else we want to be. Someone else we want to aspire to. Not that aspiration is a bad thing. It's not. But to be yourself. To really be who God has made you. Without any inhibition to just go for it. And to be who he's made you to be. That is one of the most beautiful things. And that's who Jesus was. As he became more and more who he was meant to be, the ministry around him began to explode. Revival broke out as he began to become more and more who he was. And if the church, if we as family were to really be ourselves the way God has made us, if we really, really, really just said, right, we're going to be confident in who we are, whatever that is and whoever you are, that is a really beautiful thing to have the freedom to be yourself because the world will mold you and shape you and cut you into what it wants you to be. But where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free, Galatians 5.1. And that freedom releases us into who we are meant to be as sons and daughters of God. And that is a challenge because it's so much easier with ha having the mask. Living with the mask is easier and there's multiple masks, but actually when you take it off and you say, Lord, I am going to be who I am called to be in the context of community that's the kingdom of God breaking out. And that's an invite. That is not 
a nice little thing to say at the beginning of a Friday evening session. With all of my heart, I feel God saying to this more and more to us in Holy Trinity. And the passage which God has given us is about someone who is really becoming themselves. It's, it's Isaiah, one of the greatest prophets uh, that ever was to walk. Isaiah was just a normal punter like you and me. He was, came from an impoverished family. He came from um, a background which wasn't one that was austere, wasn't one that was well-known. He was plucked out of obscurity, and he was actually placed into this central place of leading the people of Israel when they, when they were under the worst tyranny and siege in the city of Jerusalem there ever was, ever even since that day. The Assyrian Empire were surrounding Jerusalem. They were on lockdown. There was people dying left, right, and center. It was horrific. And in the background, there was Egypt. And Egypt was called a vassal. It was, it was a, a kind of a cohort of Assyria. And Egypt was constantly nipping at the heels of Israel, saying, come on out of Jerusalem and, and, and be with us. Be like us. We, we'll save you from the Assyrians. And everyone wanted to leave Jerusalem through the back door, essentially, and to run to Egypt away from the Assyrian horde and the siege. But Isaiah was the one who said, stay, trust in God, and he will deliver us. And as he went through that journey, as he went through this, it was a tough call. He became more and more himself. And we see in Isaiah, which is divided into three parts, three different books, but we know them as one, Isaiah becoming more himself and actually leading people into being who they are called to be. And this Isaiah 55 is a fulcrum in the life of Isaiah. He has had groups of people around him um, trying to encourage him to give into Israel, to give into Egypt, to um, become an Assyrian, to be like the enemy, to be someone else, constantly nipping at his heels to try and um, come underneath the kingship, which was dysfunction at the time. But Isaiah held on to who he was supposed to be. He took the mask off. And this Isaiah 55 is a fulcrum and a center point into how he saw what it meant to truly be yourself and the process that that can lead us in as we become ourselves. And Isaiah 55, we're going to be speaking about it over the next couple of days. There's going to be three talks, and in the middle of that, there's going to be a discussion session which Scott is going to lead us on. We're going to look at three aspects of this journey of becoming more ourselves in the context of Isaiah. Tonight, I'm going to look at this idea of seeking the Lord and what it means to seek the Lord. Dillis is going to speak tomorrow about this idea of hearing God, listening to God, and the everlasting covenant he makes with us. And then on Sunday, we're going to look at this whole idea of joy. And as we become more ourselves, and we as Holy Trinity become more ourselves, this idea of going out in joy. But tonight, and just for a few moments, I want to look at this whole idea of seeking the Lord. This, this section of scripture, which we know quite well, but actually needs to be mined in order to dig deeper into what 
the Lord is trying to say to us in this context of becoming ourselves. And so if you have a Bible, you want to open it up on Isaiah 55, or the sheets in front of you, which uh, Ingrid very kindly printed off. So I'm going to start off with this section of Isaiah. We're actually going to start off at verse 6 and lead us down to verse 11. So Father, as we work through your word, I just, like, I just kneel before you and ask you to speak to us like you've never spoken to us before. I'm just crying out for a word to actually just pour into our hearts tonight. And that your word, it says here, never, uh, it doesn't return void. It always accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent. And God, I thank you as we're gathered here, away from our own pressures of life, that your word would build us up. We love your word. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this section of seek the Lord while he may be found. The most important aspect of understanding this section of scripture here is that there's an intentionality in seeking. It is not a passive word. It is a very, and for those who might know, the Hebrew word is a very, very intentional word. It comes from the idea of someone who deliberately will go to the marketplace to buy something that they need for their family to survive. And this word seeking is an intentional word that actually is so important in the context of the whole passage in the center of it. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. There is an intentionality and there is an expectation on us to seek the Lord and be seekers of him. I remember growing up, I remember um, from a household five kids and my mom and my dad, and my dad was really busy. He used to work from seven in the morning till about seven at night. He was a hardworking butcher and he worked a long time, many hours, put us all through um, secondary school in, in high school. And uh, we nearly killed him, actually. God bless him. We were so, so much pressure on him sometimes. But I remember he used to come home and he'd turn off all the lights. And my poor mother was trying to cook the dinner. She's like, David, for crying out loud, I've had five kids all day and you're coming home and turning off all the lights. What, have you gone to the pub on the way home or something? He used to come home and he'd turn off all the lights in the house. Every single light. And he'd play hide and seek with us. And my mother was there again, trying to the stove, she would cook with a match or something. <laughs> and myself and Stephen and Graham and Bev and Susan would be there and we'd all hide. And when we were young, we always had the same place to hide in. I always used to go under my mom and dad's bed. Graham would always go in the closet in our bedroom. 
And Stephen would always go here, and Susan would go there, and Bev would go there. Actually, Bev, because she was the youngest, never really found anywhere to, to hide. She was always caught first, which was okay for being the youngest. But I remember our dad would always know where it was we were hiding. Until we got older, we got, we got a bit of cop on and hid somewhere else. But he would play the game with us. He used to do this... <laughs> The smelling thing used to and make these stupid noises and until one of us laughed and then we all laughed and the game was over. But I remember this beautiful moment as a child of knowing my father, he knew where I was exactly. He knew where I was hiding, he knew where I was under the bed, but there was this kind of beautiful game of like him, him calling me out. This beautiful game of actually interacting with me and the rest of my brothers and sisters. And it was such fun in the household until the dinner was burnt. And uh, my mum and my dad have a massive argument. And uh, we would all go down for dinner together. But I remember this beautiful interplay of kind of hide uh, and seek. And this idea of intentionally seeking as a Christian. This idea of actually being intentional about seeking God, that might sound like something which doesn't make sense because why should we have to do that? We live in New Testament times where God is everywhere, isn't he? God is, is in all things, he's through all things, through the ministry of Jesus, it's no longer a linear, kind of we have to go through the prophet. God is everywhere and through the ministry of Jesus we have access to him. So why do we need to seek him? Why do we need to have this this, this sense of, of seeking him and drawing close to him and calling upon him while he is near. I think the answer to that one lies in the important aspect of a Christian of actually making the decision to seek after him. And in that seeking, in that drawing close, there's something which we let go of. There's something which we draw close to something which we begin to come like a, like a child, as it were, as I think of those days with my own father. And so seek the Lord while he may be found is an intentional aspect of the Christian faith. If you just sit where you are and stay where you are and you just expect God to come to you, he's here, he's here right now, as Sherry keeps reminding us. But the aspect of seeking him and making the decision to draw close to him. That's where the interplay happens. That's where the interaction happens. And that's what Isaiah is talking about. A people who become passive, a people who become um, set in their own ways, a people who have just become um, almost lazy. Isaiah was saying, now is the time to seek the Lord because he can be found. Jesus says the same thing in Matthew 7, 7. The disciples are talking about the activity of God and asking the question, um, how do we pray in that context after the Beatitudes? And Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. This invitation to partake, ask, seek, knock. And as we come here on this weekend, as we come away from the workplaces, we come into this space. There is that invitation for you and for me to ask and to seek and to knock 
might not be in these, these sessions, might not be through the worship, might be in the conversations that you have with people, it might be in a dream God gives you at night, it might be in a prophetic word that you have. But if we just come here with the sense of just being passive, I guess that's okay, but if we really come with this sense of wanting to seek God, that's when the real interplay happens and that's where the kingdom really breaks out as we become more ourselves. And in this, this, this seeking, there are three very quick components which actually are so important. If we break this word seeking down, there are three things that we need to do in seeking God. Three aspects. The first is in verse 7b, if you want to look at it there. Let them return to the Lord, that he may have mercy on them, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon them. So the first aspect of seeking God, the first aspect of actually drawing close to God is understanding that we all need to return to him at some stage or another. The Christian faith, as far as I can see it, is like the tide. There's seasons when God is close, the tide is in, and we're on those mountaintops, and we're going for it, and there's seasons when the tide is out, and we feel far from God, we feel distant from Him. We ask, where are you? And the tide is far away, but the tide always comes back in, the tide always returns. And it's in the moments when the tide is out where our character is formed. And seeking the tide, as it were, or trusting that it will come in. And this returning, Isaiah was encouraging the people, return to the Lord, come back to the Lord. The Bible is filled with people returning. I just did a quick study in, in the New Testament alone earlier today and in the Old Testament, the Bible is filled with people returning. And in the returning, there is powerful encounters. Peter returned to the beach where he was called for the very first time. After the resurrection, he's broken. The tide's out. He's separated from God. He feels like he's a waster. He feels like, I'm far from God. I'm, how am I going to ever face him? I denied him. And Jesus meets him on the beach and talks about Jesus and Peter and Peter returning to the Lord. Or take Moses. He had to return to the mountain a second time to get the Ten Commandments. He had to go up one time. It didn't work out. And the Lord says, return to the mountain. And that can be a difficult place to go when you've been there already and the Lord asks you to go back. But Moses had to return to the mountain again and receive the commandments again and come back to the people again. But he had to return to the mountain. Or think of Mary returning home with her son that was illegitimate originally. Jesus, born or outside wedlock, she was pregnant. She had to return back to Nazareth. 
Think of the prodigal son returning home after living in a pigsty far from his father. He had to return back. Returning is hard, and in that, that aspect of seeking, returning is difficult. But what does it say here? Let them return to the Lord, that he may have mercy on them, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon them. And in that returning in your own lives, in that coming back to God, there is an abundance of grace, and an abundance of the power of the Spirit, and an abundance of relationship, but it takes you to return. And that returning is hard, and Isaiah is recognizing that. But returning is an aspect of seeking God, and making that decision to return back. And when you're in that place of, of being far from God, or when you're in that place when God says, go back to the mountain, or when you're in that place when God says, go back to Nazareth, or when you're in that place in the pigsty, it's easier to stay there. It's easier not to return. But when we return back to God, when we come back to that place, that's where the abundance is. And Isaiah is very clear in using that word, abundance. Hosea 6.1 says, Come, let us return to the Lord. John 4.50, when Jesus returns to Cana, where he turned the water into wine, there was a man whose son was dying. And it says the man returned to the Lord. And he came to, the, to Jesus and he said, My son is dying I don't know what to do. He wasn't a Jew. He had nothing to do with the covenant of the Israelites. He came to Jesus begging him in Cana. He'd heard of the, the promise of Jesus who turned water into wine. And he said, heal my son. And Jesus turns to him and says, return home. Your son has recovered. And he returned home. Now, he didn't know his son was going to be healed because he was with Jesus. His son was far away. But he had to turn around and return home. And it says when he, he got home, he found that his son was recovered, it says in John 4:50. And so this returning, this component of seeking is so important in the Christian faith of constantly returning in the cycle of the tide going in and coming out, returning to the Lord, and even more importantly, returning home to be with the Lord, because that's the safest place you'll ever be. Even if your context is difficult or tough, it's the safest place you'll ever be. So the first aspect of seeking is returning. Then it gets even harder the second aspect of seeking in a very simple but difficult way is letting go. Verses 8 to 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In the parish, we have, you might know him, Charles, a very senior head of physics in UCD, uh, chemistry as well, I think. 
and he meets PhD students, and he's retired at this stage, but he meets PhD students, and I was talking to him, I had something to eat with him a few days ago, his man, quite elderly, and he's gone through a difficult time, I met him, we had a cup of coffee, we got talking, highly, highly intelligent man, like I mean way off the charts, and we were chatting, and I said, I said, it, it's Ken, the organist, okay? It's the organist of the 10 o'clock, Ken. I'll just say, he won't mind me telling the story. I said, Ken, you work with all these PhD students. What's it like? And he says, well, when I gather the PhD students, the first thing I've said to them always is forget everything you've ever learned. <laughs> Leave it all behind. And I want you to come like a child. And I got all these PhD students, are highly intelligent, and they've you know done their masters, they've done all sorts of, 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 of study wherever they are. And he says, "Come like a child, and leave everything behind." And then he walks out. He gets paid whatever two hundred quid for that. Brilliant. <laughs> but he, he he leaves them in that session, and he comes back in the next time, and he, he says, "What did you think I meant by that?" And they, they said, well, we, we thought it was pretty stupid, actually, or we, you know, we didn't know what you were talking about. And he said, sometimes you just need to let things go in order to learn afresh in a new way. And I think this section of scripture is, is saying a very similar, similar thing. It's, it's saying that God's ways are not our ways. There's things we know about God. There's scientists in the room here. There's heads of secondary schools. There's senior business people. There's, there's, the room is filled with very capable people who could express the economy of God and the many different facets he's observed in this world because he is observable. But his ways are not our ways always. How we see him work is often not the way we think he will work. He works through suffering. He works through when he hides himself. He works when the tide is out. He works when you're under siege in Assyria. He works in different ways. George Orwell said in 1946, before writing Animal Farm in 1984, even be written, he said, content will increase so much in the decades ahead that people will be overwhelmed with information and they will just switch off and feel lost. We need a different way to see the world. And that was the precursor of 1984. And when we follow God and when we, we trust him, when we actually realize his ways are different, there's actually a beautiful letting go and becoming who you're meant to be because you trust him. And it looks different to the world. People will say you're stupid. I've said to you before, I'm in this, this phase of, of kneeling. <laughs> God's just calling me to kneel in the most bizarre places, in the Swan Center or on the Ratmines Road. Or I was in the Cobblers the other day. And I said, please, God, no, not here. <laughs> and I, I, I knelt down, but it was good because I said my soul needs to be fixed here. And I kind of... But for me, that, that's my... my my story, um, but I think it's an acknowledgement for me that his ways are not my ways, and that's, for me, he's teaching me 
to let go and to, to trust him. And it can look stupid, it can, it can look crazy, but if we actually acknowledge that sometimes we just have to let go and say, I don't understand, but I seek you. And I actually choose to return to you and trust you. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ is rooted in the last component before we pray together of seeking, which is trust. The third component of seeking is trusting. Verse 10 and 11 for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there until they have watered the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I propose and succeed in the thing, in, in the thing for which I sent it. Trusting God that he can achieve the thing for which he is doing or what he's asking you to do. Trust is the third aspect of seeking. And this, this section of scripture is lost in our English understanding. It's lost in our just simplicity of the English language. But the context of this section of scripture is a place where there's not much rain it's a place um, in much of that part of Israel, ancient Israel, where you had to wait for the rain. It was dry for most of the year. It was a place where water was scarce. It wasn't like in the west coast of Ireland where it rains nearly every other day. It was a place that was, was dry. And so you had to wait for it. But when it came in that context, the place was flooded. When the rain came, it actually achieved the purpose for which it was sent. And there was enough water to be saved in the dry times to actually keep them satisfied for the year ahead. And so this aspect of trusting as we seek God as we're in that context of returning to him, the letting go, it's the trusting that can be the hardest. Will the rain come? Is it gonna be dry for the next 12 months? But Isaiah compares the coming rain. He would have known of Elijah where seven years it didn't rain. And there was one time when he, he was standing there after Mount Carmel, he looked out and he said, I see a cloud forming the size of a man's fist. The rain's coming. Quickly, put your cloak on and run out and tell the people the rain is coming. And it rained for 40 days after seven years. And Isaiah would have known that story of waiting for the rain and he compares the coming rain to the word of God and that it will come it can be trusted God's promises to you will be accomplished and they will succeed 
And so in this aspect of coming ourselves, or Isaiah becoming himself, he was actually exhorting the people in that process, seeking is really, really important. Seeking God. And in the seeking, there's returning, there's letting go, and there's trusting. And it's constant, folks. It's not just a point in time. You're all in different seasons now. Some of you are letting go. Some of you are, are trusting. Some of you are returning. I feel far from God. I feel like I'm in the pigsty or I feel like I'm away from the mountain. Some of you will be in that sense of, I just need to trust him. I just need to trust him and I can't see the outcome. Or I just need to, to let it go because your ways are not my ways. And each one of us, is in varying seasons, but all of them are part of seeking the Lord while he may be found. And the outworking of, of all of this, and as we just spend some time praying, and as we just sit for a moment in a busy life, in this context of the passage, there's a beautiful line here, which is a word for us as we gather at the oasis. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there until they have watered the earth. Do not return to Dublin until God has watered you this weekend. Do not return to wherever it is you've come from without feeling watered. Drinking from the oasis. Drinking deep from the oasis. And all of this, the, 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 the heading of this section of Scripture is an invitation to an abundant life. And this beautiful section of Scripture which says, do not return there until they have watered the earth, making it bring forth and sprout giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. You see, at the oasis, there is life in the midst of the desert. At the oasis, people become who they're meant to be. At the oasis, there is actually a shift as we actually just jump in. And in a world that is so filled with content, as George Orwell said, in a world that is the opposite of, of, of God's ways often. Having a space like this, folks, is so rare. It's so rare just to have a place we can be prayed with and a place we can worship, a place we can have a pint with someone, a place we can have breakfast. And so don't go from here without being watered together as community. Amen? <laughs> so I'd love to just pray for us and just spend some time and uh, maybe Sherry will come back up and I think Sherry has picked some beautiful songs as we close out our time The More I Seek You which is exactly what I've been speaking about trusting letting go and returning what are you what are you asking God for trust letting go Returning. Returning. Letting go. Trusting. Father, 
We want to become more ourselves this weekend. Those three words, Lord, just as I said in the beginning, in a world full of content, trusting, returning, and letting go at the oasis. I felt, God, you put those words on my heart this afternoon for us, for me. And God, I really believe this weekend is more than just having the right outcome because there isn't currency in something just because it has an outcome in the future. There's currency in it because it has an outcome now. So I just pray that your word will achieve the purpose for which it was being sent in our hearts. Come, Holy Spirit, in whatever that means for us today. Be yourself. Be free to be yourself. Don't be somebody else. They're already taken. Father as we sing these two songs may they be an anthem and if we feel we need to kneel or we need to stand or sit that we would return let go and trust and seek you while you can be found because you are here Lord you're here now